Hello and welcome to the Yggdrasil podcast. I am your host, Reddit Tosker. Today we have the Lore Hunter again. Hello, Lore Hunter. Thank you for coming. Hello, thanks for having me. No problem at all. It's always nice to have you. Congratulations on your uh, 10k subscribers, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been going up pretty quickly lately, which isn't a surprise with Elden Ring just around the corner. But it is, um, you know, it's nice always to cross a milestone like that. So it's uh, it's always good when you've been doing something for a while and people are like, eh, that's that's not too bad. <laughs> I'm kind of I've also been surprised. My my own subscriber count has been going up really quickly. I I recently reached the um, the 30k milestone, and it's just. It's it's the Elden Ring. The Elden Ring is so popular right now. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. It, yeah, it is because I I mean I've been around for Bloodborne and Dark Souls three and Sekiro, and I've done varying levels of content. At least for Sekiro, I was pretty active on YouTube at that point. Um, as sort of my I guess you'd call that like my first attempt at doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and there it, it got pretty like. You know, I definitely saw some activity, but nothing like Elden Ring. Elden Ring is just on another level <laughs> and like always when it comes to people just being interested and curious, it's it's massive. Yeah, it keeps winning every poll that it's in, like most anticipated yeah. game over and over. Like it the funny thing is it beats out some heavy competition every time. Um you know, Breath of the Wild, Horizon, um yeah. like whatever it comes up against uh, like our 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 fan base is rabid. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think part of that is because you have it being their first like action RPG since 2016 on the one hand. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, it's the open world. I, you know, just something has really caught the attention of a lot of people because I don't, that can't just be the Souls community. I know that the Souls community is pretty vocal and relatively large too, but. Um, you know, not compared to some of these other, you know, games. It's just, it's just really interesting to see, like, just how how it does go toe to toe with like God of War, like you're right. saying, and all those other titles. Because from software is like, and they're still like, you know, they're not huge. They're a few hundred people. They're large, but they're not, you know, they're not triple A large. Exactly. Yeah. They're, you know, they're they're just. They're not they're not backed by Sony like God of War right. is and you know Horizon is, but they're still the numbers that they're bringing up are just kind of smashing everything around them right now. The last thing that I saw on it was like, well, first of all, like Dark Souls three sold more than ten million like easily, and um, Sekiro I think outsold Dark Souls three if I'm not mistaken. And then on top of that, like if I'm not if I'm remembering this right. They had predicted in the first month of Elden Ring's release, it's going to sell like 4 million copies, like month one. And I'm like, that's kind of, man, they they are confident, aren't they? Yeah, that that is, that is a lot. And I think, you know, that they could they could possibly hit that. It's, it's hard for me to say because it's not really my specialty with it. But yeah, it seems like, yeah, it's just, you know, because I always wonder, like, is it just because I'm ingrained in the community and it's, a lot of you know pretty much everyone i talk with is a souls fan so it's like i don't know if it's a confirmation bias but you know then you just see the numbers and stuff like wish list on steam it's like the number <laughs> one and you're like no people are really excited considering the marketing was basically non-existent for two years and then i guess it kind of worked out because then they slammed just this whole metric ton of 
content down and I guess people took notice. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the things I believe we even talked about it in one of our previous um, podcasts was we were surprised the way that they were doing their marketing. And I'm like, do, have they, do they know something? I don't like, have they discovered some radical new marketing idea uh, that, that uh, we haven't thought of and we, we haven't seen uh, because like you said, you've been here for a while. You've been uh, present in the souls community, looking at their pre-release history for at least uh, what, what did you say? Bloodborne? Yeah. Since around Bloodborne. Yeah. So, um, and you were telling me before that this is definitely unusual. It's not, it, it, it hasn't followed the typical trend. Yeah, no, it's, it's really different even outside of, you know, they've been trending a little differently, but you know, I think that was one of the main things when souls games got announced and maybe this was atypical, but for a lot of people, it was that from software would basically announce a title at E3 and it would come out the following spring. Mm. And that, didn't quite happen with Sekiro because they had the teaser at TGA, but then it fell into line when it got to E3. They had an official like trailer and then it released in the spring. So Elden Ring with that two-year gap really changed things. But then even what they're doing now has um, continually surprised me, like with the network test, for instance. Right. Like I played, I played like the Dark Souls 3 network test, and it was it was good. But, you know, it was pretty limited in its features. So the fact that Elden Ring, like, had item descriptions and stuff was really wild because there was so much more content in there to talk about and to look at than, like, in Dark Souls 3, you couldn't equip your character, really. You kind of just swapped through using menus, but they didn't really get, let you get into the stats or really, like, you know, the character specifics. But with Elden Ring, they basically gave you just a little slice of the game. I think it really speaks to the confidence that they're going in swinging like this, because like, um, I played every instance of the network test that I could. And that's like, what, 12 hours in total. And there's more than 12 hours of content in there easily. (laughs) There's easily, there was not, I did not do all of the things that I wanted. Like, like I did all the stuff in a playthrough, you know, but I didn't get to really experiment with any of the other things because, um, you know, I didn't get, I, I didn't have a magic build. I was playing a warrior. And so I was, uh, I was very restricted in how I could approach a lot of the stuff. If I was like, I'm a, I'm a warrior build. I want to see what it's like as a warrior build. Uh, had, had I, I could easily have gotten another 36 hours out of the network test. Yeah. It's, it, it was really impressive. Cause there was sort of a joke that like the Elden Ring network test has more stuff than some full games do. And it's kind of a joke, but also like. Yeah, like there's a lot of stuff there because I remember I did like three sessions where I was just playing with a character. And then for the fourth session, I had looked online to see what stuff I had missed mm-hmm. that other people had mentioned. And I kind of wrapped that up or so like in an hour. So you're still looking at like it was it took me roughly 10 hours to get a character to essentially do everything in this like one third of six regions right (laughs) you know so it's just like it's really mind-boggling that you could spend that much time there and that there was obviously like fooling around and experimenting and getting used to the game but like also because we were on a time limit i don't know about you but i was like kind of like eyes on the prize a lot of the time Mm. so i wasn't really taking my time i wanted to try to get to this stuff so it's kind of wild just how much was in west limgrave right um 
So that actually brings me to what I wanted to talk about first. Um, I saw your interview that you had with um, the guy that did the Game Informer article. I believe his name is Dan. Uh, yep. And I was very impressed with it. I really liked that interview because, um, well, I, like a lot of people that I know, um, watched a bit of the Twitch thing that he was doing and listened to some of his commentary. And we got some vibes that we maybe wouldn't want to hear yeah. everything he had to say. But there was still interesting stuff in there that I wanted to hear, like the general concept stuff that, that he, he was talking about. And so your interview... Uh, was just excellent because it was it was spoiler free. You talked about exactly the general concepts that I'm interested in, without talking about any specifics or specific names. Uh, and so, like, if if you guys are interested in in getting some eldering um, spoiler free content from that from that interview, because it was like good stuff in there, um, I, I would recommend definitely go watch Lore Hunter's video. I thought it was excellent. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really nice to get to do that and. It was nice. Like I've known, I've known Dan for a few years, like, you know, just like minor talks because he, he sort of hung out in the like, um, Reddit Sekiro discord. And, um, you know, I had just reached out to him. So we would just occasionally mm -hmm. like ask him like a question just re related to like the industry or just like we keep in contact a little bit. And after the video, after that stream where I also backed out after like maybe five or 10 minutes into it, because you, you're just getting those like warning flags. Like, I think I'm hearing too many details. This isn't what I personally want, but I know Dan always does great coverage. And, um, you know, I just, just was like, Hey, do you want to come on? I didn't know like if that would interfere with what game informer was doing or what, you know, sort of responsibilities he had on that end. But Dan is like a real, hardcore souls fan like he's like not that you know you couldn't come in on the other hand and do a good job but like he's like very invested in the community and he's really passionate about these games and he jumped right on and it it was really great and it was really nice to hear like i wasn't sure how many people were in the same boat as me but apparently enough people were because it seemed to get a really positive response and it was just one of those like happy to do it sort of things and you know, and on my end, I just wanted to hear the information too, because I also like I read the cover story, but even reading the cover story, um, it's structured pretty nicely, so you can kind of like it gives like little like subheadings, right? So it got it got to like the hub, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to read that section because I don't want to know. So like, I, it was easy enough to skip through, but he was able to answer some questions that like I didn't think I could get otherwise. So it filled a nice niche. And it's sort of funny to see Game Informer is kind of doing that now. And <laughs> I've noticed other stuff since then. They've been like, oh, there's some spoilers or they, like, they've been right. more specific about like, oh, this is spoiler free. So, um, you know, I think it was it was it was nice that Dan could do it. And it seemed to be the right call because a lot of people like we're only like three weeks out, basically. Right. And like, yeah. there's just there's just no point in knowing some of those things, at least for me. And people who want to know that, everyone experiences the games differently. But like, for me, and I think for you and a lot of other people, is like, it's one thing to have learned like lore tidbits from the network test and to experience the game for like 12 hours. But then when you have the Game Informer coverage, which is really similar to what they've done in the past for like Sekiro, Dark Souls 3, like Game Informer always does a good job. I think the difference for a large enough contingent of people like us is that 
we already have the closed network test experience. You don't then want the coverage right. <laughs> like in full because then you get too much of an idea of the shape of the world. And um, at least when I played Dark Souls 3, my experience with that was just that I did the network test and then I kind of wanted to push through the high wall of Lothric when I finally played. And I thought that was a bummer because those opening hours of a Souls game are so like special, right. and so critical. Like it's not that they're huge spoilers, it's just that it really sets the tone. And, you know, Dan has been very, and I, and I, and I trust him that like, even though he said stuff, even if you read everything, he's very confident that it is a drop in the bucket, basically. Like you might know about that one castle now, which is a side dungeon. You might know a little bit about the first legacy dungeon, but there's still so many things. And if you look at the map, you can tell like, he's not lying. Like if you look at the entirety of Limgrave, there's like three or four more castles. There's countless side dungeons. There's stuff that he straight up refused to answer. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of mind boggling. And I think part of the thing is people and like, I don't know about you, but I almost can't believe that the game is as robust as it seems to be. Yeah, the, the way that they're describing it. Uh, well, well, let me let me backpedal here. Uh, you can definitely tell that Dan, um, the, um, the interviewer, uh, the interviewee in this case, um, yeah. was uh he definitely uh, you you he he transmits the the fact that he's you know he's heavily invested in these from software games uh you know you it really like you can tell this is a souls fan uh what the only thing uh for me it's like i i, I definitely believe him it's almost certain to be a, a drop in the bucket um but just for me personally and I, you know and i know a lot of people apparently a lot of people enjoyed your your interview uh, that's a drop I'd rather just not be in the bucket yet, you know, or yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 uh, or rather just keep it in the bucket and don't give it to me yet. Like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's just no point. It, we're, what, what is it? 21 days at this point, 20 days, yeah. something like that. It's, you know, I, I'm going to get it. Like it, if there's any possibility that I would enjoy that drop less, by knowing about it, it, you know, I'd rather just not. I get that not everybody is like that, but that, you know, for me, that's that's how I, I'm choosing to approach it from now on. Um, yeah, and I think that's part of the interest about like marketing, and like I, I'm interested in marketing as in a real like just someone who's really invested in these games. I'm always interested how they're presented to people, and I think one thing to keep in mind and is that like we're not even the target audience anymore. Like now they're really ramping up right. and they're pushing stuff and they're going to keep showing more stuff. Like, so for anyone who's not used to a souls release, like, or game releases, because not everybody follows them, they're going to keep pushing. And I think it's just going to keep ramping up. They may give us mercy and not flood the internet, but from everything with game informer, like that's just their, like, that's one of their big, gambits at the end and i've seen it before but they're going to keep pushing it because it's not for fans at that point it's for them trying to collect as many pre-orders because it's important to higher ups <laughs> essentially yeah. that yeah. a lot of people pre-order so they're gonna give information that like i was thinking about this like i skipped over the hub as i mentioned that whole paragraph i was like i don't want to know anything about the hub <laughs> if you told me if you told me that there was like a horizon video about the hub because I'm interested in Forbidden West. I liked Horizon Zero Dawn. I haven't really followed it. But if you told me there was a video, like, I wouldn't care if I watched it or not. Like, yeah. I don't have the same investment. Yeah. And 
you know, like I, I don't have any other games that I approach with such um, reverence. But, yeah, such reverence. <laughs> and it's, and, you know, and I know for people like I'm always curious because this is really the most invested I've been in releases where I've really tracked things. I'm always like, are other communities as like, yeah, reverent? And do they treat it as like this sacred rite in the same way that like the souls community does? Because everybody has this almost religious yeah. personal set of beliefs and like things they want to see and they don't want to see because that blind playthrough for them is so sacred and how they want to approach it is so important that people will get really mad or, you know, they'll just like, I have, I have friends who have stopped following me on Twitter right? Like, <laughs> just because I'm someone who posts and I, I'm, I have Generally a, I have a, free, but. I have a very, um, dedicated, um, uh, person that follows my channel, um, a commenter. He comments on pretty much every video. He like, uh, you know, does, says something at least in every video, but this guy has stopped watching all, uh, things since after, I think it was after the storyteller, uh, trailer. And so yeah. from that point forward, he's completely cut himself off, but he'll still come yeah. to my channel and, and post a comment, uh, but he doesn't look at my videos. He just comments for the algorithm. He just refuses. And I'm like, this man has the will of steel. I can't believe. Because um, uh, even the, I, I enjoyed the Game Informer footage, but even that I felt like, oh, I've hit my limit. Like, because it, you don't really know when you've hit your limit until you hit it. And then you're like, ah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's where I didn't want to see. And so at that yeah. point, uh, I, I've resigned myself. I'm not going to watch anymore. Even if I do... Mm -hmm upload something uh it's going to be clearly labeled and i'm not the one that's going to see it somebody else is going to edit that footage and put it up for me because uh yeah. <laughs> uh no uh, i'm done and that, that actually that's a clear segue uh, i want to explain to the audience how uh we're we're treating spoilers here i intend for this to be completely spoiler free in the same way that uh lore hunter's interview with the game informer guy was spoiler free so we are going to talk about that interview and we are going to talk about stuff that has been released from the game informer um things but in the general sense like a lot of the stuff that lore hunter talked to to dan about uh in the concept sense a lot of the interviews kind of stuff um we're not going to say any names we're not going to spoil any npcs locations that kind of thing we're going to talk about generalities uh, and if that's, I, I don't consider those spoilers. You know, the thing about spoilers is everyone has a, a certain tolerance and I don't think those are spoilers, you know, for me. Uh, if that sounds like it's going to be a problem for you, I would recommend you get off the video now. I don't think it's going to be a problem for most people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. It's in, in the, I got a few comments of people on the video, like, man, like you said, Limgrave. And I know I've already said Limgrave, which is why I'm saying it again. It's like, I think it's awesome that you don't know the name Limgrave, but right. you still clicked on my video. Like, not like mocking them, but just like, how did you get this far? How did you get still... this far? You precious, <laughs> precious person. Like, I'm actually yeah, kind of you... sorry. No, I'm actually kind of sorry. But like, how, if, you, if you got this far, it was an accident. You were never going to make it all the way to release if you clicked yeah. on the video. Um, yeah, it, I, I was just surprised because, and I have on my Discord server, I have a spoiler free channel and there's people there who have only watched the sgf trailer from june and they haven't watched anything since it's so and weird one of the things that I, I uh, yeah. j just a small comment one of the things that yeah. uh 
is weird about this is that it's fracturing the community in weird ways because some there are groups and subgroups that have a line for where the spoiler starts and they don't cross it but um mm -hmm. there's like three or four of them so there's the people from the from the uh, 20 minutes of gameplay release and they didn't do anything after that and then there's people that are only after the storyteller trailer release and they don't watch anything after that and then there's people that are uh, you know, the game informer, that was the line too far. And, and, uh, that, well, that's me. And, you know, I don't watch anything from here on out. And so we're all kind of, kind of fractured. It's kind of strange. Um, so, so for the purposes of this, let me be very, very clear. We're going to talk about everything before the game informer release is fair game. The network test, the tap pay game show, you know, um, all of, all of this stuff, everything before this game informer release is fair game. Uh, the Game Informer stuff is not fair game, but we will discuss it in a general sense. That's that's the rules. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that sounds that sounds good because yeah, everyone does have their their different line. It is fascinating and like that like that spoiler free channel. It's hard. I can't even go in there because it's hard for me to remember what it was what like. Knew. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have to like think back like what did we know? Because I accidentally like like. I've I've blown it up a couple times just accidentally and like I'm I made the channel I I want to be super respectful but like um and yeah I'm just double checking that this isn't a spoiler like the the collector's edition I just mentioned like oh yeah I'm looking forward to that like Melania statue and someone's like who and I was like oh my god how do you not <laughs> like I'm just like <laughs> it's so hard to rewind to her being Valkyrie right and I'm just like it's not really a spoiler, but if you think it is, I'm sorry, it's the spoiler-free channel. I just took it off. But I'm like, it's so hard to go back there because that is like six months old information at yeah. this point. And I always think I have a respect and I also think it's just big, just big balls to be on the internet in an essentially Elden Ring Discord, Discord server. Yeah. Because that's basically like we talk about games and Souls games, so it's more of a Souls thing. But obviously, Elden Ring dominates, and I'm always just like, that is very brave of you. And you know, I hope like it I want to be cautious, and I admire those people. I really do. I I'm on their side. It's just um, for for people like you and me, uh, we're on here, and we've been looking for every piece of information for like two years, like yeah, yeah. Uh, like nonstop, like adrenaline mode, like, oh, look at that. And then like analyzing frame by frame, trying to yeah. gleam any kind of insight. Uh, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, it's entirely too much. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it is telling though, I think that so many, a larger, it's telling where the clusters happen, you know, um, where do a lot large group of people start to think, you know what, that was, that was my line. That was where the spoiler started for me. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people got that same sense from the Game Informer. Um, not yeah. even the footage, honestly. Uh, well, some, a little bit of the footage, but but not the Game Informer article and not necessarily the footage. It was the Twitch uh, commentary that a lot of people got that sense for. A commentary that I haven't seen, by the way, so I can't comment on. But the people yeah. that have talked to me are like, that's, you know, that's where the line was for me. Had to step off after that point. Yeah, and it was, it was too much for me. And I think the basically like for anyone curious who also doesn't want to check it out it was just the fact that like part of it has become like dan was effectively playing the actual game mm -hmm. which feels different from the network test because i know that those change quite a bit and so there's always sort of even if it's sort of just me telling myself it's that mystery of it's not really the full thing whereas like he was playing not the gold version of the game it was a slightly older build 
but he was playing essentially the game. And so if he tells us stuff, it's now like, Permanent. if it didn't, yeah. If it, yeah, if if it informs how I'm going to play, and he said things that at least for me said, oh, this is how I would play now as a result of what he said. And that's when I backed out real fast because it's like, I don't want to have foreknowledge of these things that seem like they're intended to be organic. I think one of the reasons people are so um, spoiler averse is because it's, I'm sure that a large number of people have never heard Miyazaki say that he would rather us play spoiler free. He did say that, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure a lot of people never heard him say that, but I think a lot of people kind of get that. Like they kind of understand that the games are, are intended to, um, to be a trial and error game. It's like, it's, it's such an easy mm -hmm. part of the game. Uh, I mean, such a crucial part of the game where you die, uh, and then you learn from the death, uh, you know? You 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 yeah. try something different, or you try the same thing but better. Uh, whatever whatever it is, it's just clear to a lot of people. You know, uh, I I think that's part of the reason why the reaction has been so strong. Yeah, that that's a good point actually. And you know, just thinking about that, like versus like like I mentioned, like Horizon, like it it just isn't treated the same way. And I think you're right that like from software from the studio themselves to the games they're very esoteric and opaque like like from software doesn't say too much they don't really reveal what they're doing they'll have little articles and interviews but they're very secretive and their games are very secretive so it definitely breeds of culture of like that's part of the appeal because once you explore the secrets you've lost something even if it's a really fun time like you know anybody i know who's coming back to the souls games is you're kind of chasing the high of your first experience at all with the games. Right. You kind of like for Elden Ring, like I have a I have a good friend who after the 20 minute gameplay preview, he was all set to do the network test, but he decided to pull out because he started to get the sense that it might be a new Dark Souls 1 experience for him, where things are different enough and they're not the rules of the world may be different enough where he just wants to chase he, that experience. He thinks again. he can finally catch the dragon. Yeah, like so so and you know, he was he was like in on everything too. And so like I think everybody hits that point like where they they want that again and that's it's it's not unique to from software games, but it's definitely something that's heavily valued in the community. I think honestly like I think a lot of people are getting that same sense. Um I definitely I'm as, as you know, my hype has increased closer and closer to the thing. I'm getting closer to the idea. Wait a minute, I might actually catch the dragon. Like you know, like I might actually. I, I think like this is it. Like I'm pretty sure I'm going to get another Dark Souls experience. I think I may enjoy it more than I enjoyed my first Souls experience, which would be amazing. Like because yeah, I I can't overstate how much fun I had in the network test. I it was whole. Well, you know what? <laughs> uh, I, I kind of want to save that toward, towards the later part because it, it fits better uh, closer to closer to something else. What I wanted to talk about is uh, your conversation with Dan because we're we're still in that part in that mindset. Yeah. Um, so I gave you guys your spoiler warnings. Uh, these are not spoilers. General concepts. General concepts. One of the things that uh, you talked about in Dan in your interview, your spoiler-free interview, um, was the 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 size of uh, the opening area, Limgrave, 
in comparison to what we had access to in the network test. And one of the things that caught my eye that he said was like, it's bigger, much, much bigger. And according to him, it could be even two or three times as large as, as what we had access to the, to the network test. And I was like, what? <laughs> two yeah. to three times as large? It was already quite large. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely, and you can see that on maps if you're someone like me who's like paused snippets of seeing maps from like Taipei or the 20 minute gameplay preview is, you know, that was West Limgrave. And um, I won't, I won't say the name of the other areas. I don't know the right. name of one of them. I think yeah. it might just be East Limgrave, honestly. But there's these two other regions and the Southern region, I assumed, and I think a lot of other people assumed was another region like it wasn't Limgrave it was another place but it turns out that's also just part of Limgrave and it's I think people didn't think that was true because it just seems so big at that point right and it's just so expansive because um if you've played the network tester looked if you're looking out you see those minor erd trees like one of those minor erd trees is still in like most of the minor it's quite a distance see, they're still in Limgrave <laughs> So it's like, there's one that I think is outside of Limgrave, but most of them Jesus. are in there. And so it's just like, wow. And that's supposedly one of six areas of the game. And now I do, as someone who likes to, I'm, as a person, like I get pretty hyped up, pretty passionate. I think that's evident by my content, but I also don't experience crushing disappointment. Like a lot of people, like I sort of always have, some built-in thing where I'm not too distressed if it doesn't meet my expectations. So I do want to say, like, video games do often front-load some of their most fleshed-out content. So there is entirely possible that Limgrave is larger than the other six regions by a margin, but we've already seen, like, what the one north looks like, and it's not really that much smaller. So, like, you just start to have this thing where you're like, is the world really this big? Because I spent 12 hours in one third of Limgrave right. and there's six other areas. Are like, And um, Dan threw out a number. It was on the stream, but he, he estimated, now this is just his guess, it could be off. He thought if you were going to clear the first two areas, the area he explored just a tiny bit and then Limgrave, he estimated 40 hours to like fully clear Jesus. One third of the game. So, so one of the things, this this is very related. One of the things, um, you said games often front load a lot of their quality content. That's true. Um, from, from what I had access to in the network test, I actually made a video about this recently, was like, I was very impressed by the density of stuff. You couldn't throw a rock in any direction without hitting something of interest. There was just a lot there. Uh, and I, I mentioned in my video, it was like the Great Plateau from Breath of the Wild. Breath, mm -hmm. The Great Plateau in Breath of the Wild was very handcrafted, very deliberate, um, and there was always stuff right there. It was an introduction to what the rest of the game was going to be like, and as a result, I felt like it was much higher quality than the rest of the game, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, it was where I had the most, like, wow, so, so much. Uh, but Dan said something in your interview that the density didn't drop even after he left the entire Limgrave area and was off doing stuff in, in the other areas. He's like, he's like just as dense, you know, if not more so is, is what yeah. he was saying. And I'm, and that just floored me because, Ooh. because if it is front loaded, it would have to be at least front loaded to wherever he ended up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
And and another thing he said, okay, he was talking the footage that was shown from the Game Informer's thing uh, showed a little dungeon, a mini dungeon, not a legacy dungeon. And yeah. it was quite large. <laughs> it was a quite large area. It was a quite large dungeon thing. And uh, he's like, yeah, those are everywhere. Yeah, those are, those are everywhere. Like you get this idea playing in, in the part that we were playing that you'd have these cookie cutter. Okay, here's a mine thing. Uh, here's a here's a, a tomb thing. You know, that's that's the sense that we were getting these tiny tombs and tiny mine areas, and that would be the extent of the stuff. But he's like, no, no, <laughs> no. These um, these encampments, fortifications, locations, they're all over the place, and they're varied, and they're not cookie cutter. It's not what you're thinking. And I was just kind of like, what? I was always, like, that's that's not something that, that I thought of when I was playing the network test. Yeah, ex exactly. And that, I also thought that that was a legacy dungeon. And I think I've been trying to think because they do cut in the content. And I sort of did skip around those videos just to at least tell myself I hadn't fully watched it. But they're not, I don't think they're personally too bad. Like you said, I think the stream was more spoilery than the actual footage that's what and, a lot of people tell me they had the problem with yeah like i think the footage has been largely fine mm -hmm. but i would say like do you think like like undead asylum size like it seemed like that place could at least be undead asylum size if not a bit larger which we're talking about a completely optional side dungeon that's the size of the introduction of dark souls and probably larger and when i say undead asylum I'm, I mean, like the entire undead, like when you go back and you can drop down and there's a little bit more, like, I think it's at least that size. I, I think it's larger. Like just from what yeah, I, I saw, I think it's, it's yeah. definitely bigger than that. Um, easily, easily yeah. in that little area. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm thinking actually maybe the opening like courtyard <laughs> is the size of the asylum. And then it has some branches off. So it's just mind boggling. Like <laughs> regardless, it's like so crazy. Cause like you said, one of the larger complaints that I heard from people is that the side dungeons are kind of disappointing. The bosses were generally yes. easy and they just wasn't a whole lot to them. They were kind of hoping for at the worst chalice dungeons. And, you know, that's kind of what they kind of were, but they were even smaller than I think people wanted them to be. Yes. But then you get these castles and stuff and, and doing a really rough calculation. I know that there's three or four of those in the entirety of Limgrave, just based off of the map. Like you can see like, like, it's a really beautiful map, and so it's very impressionistic, so I don't know how big these castles actually are, but you see castle-looking places dotted across the entirety of Limgrave. And so if you extrapolate that, there could easily be, like, 20 to 30 of those types of castles in the game. And they're just optional side dungeons. And the other thing that sort of got me excited from what Dan was saying is, like, there's... Like, uh, this maybe isn't a huge revelation, but, like, with everything else, there's stories going on there. Like, this is environmental storytelling. Like, the castle that they give in the preview coverage, there's interesting implications for what is going on there and why what is happening in there is happening. And it gets me so excited because he's also talking about some of these other, like, people, because I did hear a little bit of NPC talk, and it sounds like, oh, like, that's not just... A dungeon they decided to make like that's some person's thing and it ties into something else like it it just has like i can't 
really wrap my mind around how they managed to make so much content and then also make it not cookie cutter. <laughs> right. And, you know, one of the things I honestly think, and I don't know if this is on your list, is like, there's been a big debate, like, about reused assets and reused, like, movesets and general reused content from Dark Souls. And I don't have much of a problem with that because I don't think there's been anything super egregious. I think what they've reused as far as like enemies are just like it makes sense like why remake a giant crab for instance like it's fine like but i think they really carefully took a decade of experience and also a decade of making things and when they had a chance to use something out in the world like they did do that so that they could spend time making the legacy dungeons and making these side dungeons and making this new content. And it really is built on the foundation of all their other games. When the game got delayed, they used very strange wording uh, for the reason <laughs> the game was delayed. They said something about the scope of the game and the number of player choices available had exceeded our expectations and we needed time. Like we needed a month to, uh, to really like hammer this down and what what i'm getting now like just seeing the, the a lot of these interviews and we'll talk about the legacy dungeons in a moment because dan said it stormvale was huge enormous beyond what you think it is like way bigger um and and so um so th that let, that leads me to believe i think that they were just working on on stuff i think they were just like yeah. all right we have all of the base we have the entire base we could release the game as it is but why don't we just fill it with stuff? We'll take a month and just fill it with stuff. Just work on these dungeons, work on these uh, other dungeons, and work on these other dungeons until uh, until we have to stop. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because there was an interview where Miyazaki said that like um, the open world was essentially connective tissue to the legacy dungeons, and I would assume also these larger side dungeons and the smaller side dungeons, I guess. But the open world was sort of just a connective tissue. It wasn't going to be devoid of enemies, but it wasn't getting a ton of emphasis. And then, at some point, I think still relatively early in the project, they decided, actually, this world's really cool, and what if we make it more vertical? And what if we add more character to it? And, yeah, I think it's what you're saying. is like, I think that just really snuck up on them. And I think what's cool about this is... There's this recurring theme with Elden Ring is that it's been this decade of experience manifesting as a game. And one thing is that the success of Dark Souls means they could spend five years on Elden Ring. They couldn't mm. do that before. And I think it's awesome that if this was Dark Souls, they would have just had to release something and they would have said the scope creeped and we would get like a, a Lost Isolith. And that's not to say we might not, but I don't think we will because I honestly think... They finished they, it. Like, yeah, I think they got to a really good place and there will probably be a little bit of jank because it's an open world game and that happens. But it really seems like they got the time and that, that's as much as you could ask for for, every, for any like developer who you really respect. Right. You know, the thing is... it the 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 decade of experience thing it, it, it miyazaki um has made stuff outside of dark souls since dark souls 3 so you know he's made sekiro he's experimented with sekiro he he messed with Durasane. Uh, he 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 messed with more storytelling elements in sekiro like more direct narrative and he he's he, it really is um 
his, his the decade of experience and now you know he's the ceo when he started when he made dark souls he was just uh an employee now he's the ceo of from software he he calls the shots and so he has the pull to to be like no we can make that four million in the first month we can do it yeah. <laughs> Give, like let me extend the game till february uh to to whoever he answers to the shareholders i imagine uh yeah. uh and and you know they'll believe him they'll believe him and they'll let him do what he wants because he's he's a he's a gold he's the golden goose he lays the golden eggs whatever he touches turns to money <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have to imagine there were some interesting conversations between Bandai Namco and Katakawa because, you know, it is it is quite it's for the industry. It's not a super long time to work on a game. It's still a good amount of time, but like for From Software, 5 years is like really wild. Like Dark Souls 1 was made in roughly 2 years. Like 2 I to 3 years. Two to three years is like their their average. Like they're longer. They're lo like Dark Souls three was a a longer development at three years long. So it's like five years. Five years is like saying, "Wow, they 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 if they did all if they did Dark Souls one in like two years, five years to make Elden Ring just really gets your imagination going." One of the so so. Dan talked about Stormvale for a bit in, in your interview, and I think I caught a bit in his Twitch thing when he was talking about Stormvale. And what he said was, you know, like any Souls game, the distance from the bonfire to the boss door is not that far, but you don't know where the boss door is. And so when you enter this sprawling dungeon, uh, it's it's not clear. So you'll be lost. And there's a lot more verticality than we're expecting is what he was saying. And so there's like a lot of ups and downs and you're going to get, it's like a maze. He described it. Uh, and, and so you, you, once you find the boss door, okay, you know that there's the boss door, but you could still explore around the castle. And so it's, it seems once you find it, like it's not that much of a distance, but it's a whole lot of distance for someone that's playing blind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of the interesting things with Stormvale is, um, I, for, <laughs> I have seen little bits of Stormvale, essentially. And I think, you know, part of the thing that Dane gets at that I sort of understand what he's saying is Souls levels have always felt like levels because, like, your character can't really interact heavily with the environment in a vertical sense. Like, they can't really jump. They kind of can, right. but it's pretty limited. Right. But it seems like Stormvale, one of the things... That from just the tiny peeks I've I've taken at what the castle's like and what Dan is saying, it's connecting to be like almost how do you describe it? It's almost kind of like if you're playing like Dishonored or another like, you know, simulation game where you're moving through what feels like a really lived in space. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like what if actually a castle? Like with all its crazy rooms and stuff that doesn't always make sense. What if you could just explore a castle instead of like going through a, video a level. game level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's just tons of stuff. And it seems like in the little bits I saw, like, and I, this is when I noped out of looking at any more of Stormvale is they've, they're really clever about the vertical, the jumping. Mm -hmm. There is stuff that if it's one of those things where like, and I love this feeling in video games where it's like, can I, can I do that? Is that, am I supposed to do that? And then you do it and you're like, Oh, I was supposed to do that. Yeah. And, and that was kind of clever. And now I feel like I've paid attention 
and I took a chance and yeah. I'm rewarded. And yeah. like, I think that's going to be there in a lot of ways, especially for people who have been playing these games for a while and just aren't used to that level of verticality in the, like we've been used to verticality and like the overall level design, but like the minute moment think, to moment traversal. I think that feeling that you're describing in, in normal Dark Souls might like a, a direct parallel will be like when you're looking down a ledge and you're like, is there something there? Do I think I can yeah. get down that ledge? And sometimes you can, you know, sometimes there is something there and you can get down the ledge and you get an item or something. But most of the time you can't. In fact, almost all the time, those messages that tell you to get, there's an item there are lying to you. Uh, yeah. But but the difference in Elden Ring seems like not only can you, a lot of the times, yeah, you should go give it a shot. It looks like it looks like that's going to be the, the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it's sort of like the world, too. One of the interesting and I brought this up with Dan is like, it's interesting that Miyazaki like is saying, I don't want players to explore everything. I want them to go on adventures and sort of go where they're motivated to travel and get lost on side paths. But don't worry about like being a little Roomba for ever, for the world. Like you hit what you hit. And it really feels like even Stormvale is designed. So, right. Like, right. You could, you could get to the boss or you could spend another hour or two exploring this cool castle and go on some adventures and sure you could then spend three hours to collect all of it but you don't have to yeah i i i remember seeing that um well yeah it wasn't i read that interview but i actually didn't get the same sense that he said that he doesn't want you to be a little roomba it's more like he doesn't want you to feel pressured to be a little roomba uh, yes, is, yeah, exactly. Because a lot of us do feel that pressure. We don't want to miss out on anything. Um, yeah. And so it's it's like, you could, I get the feeling that in the interview he was saying, like, you could be a Roomba if you want. Like, feel free to be a Roomba. But like, yeah. if that's not the kind of thing you do, it's an open world game. But if that's not the kind of thing that you're in for, you don't got to be. Like, you really don't. Exp have, have an adventure before you get to Godric. You know, have have your, your things, but only so much as interests you. And then come yeah. back and then it, it'll be there for you. You don't, like... We're trying to depressure a lot of things. That's actually when I learned that the uh, the reasons for the stakes of America. A lot of people were trying to tell me, "Oh, this game's getting casualized. Look at these stakes of America here." They were really upset, and I was like, "No, no, that doesn't yeah. sound right." Now, and then I hear this interview from Miyazaki's like, "The reason why we have these crafting mechanics and the stakes of America is because we don't want you to go back to the camp." all the time we want yeah. you to craft stuff in the field have these stakes of america so that it feels like a journey from from things it's not just uh sight of grace to sight of grace you're really out there looking around you're not going back to the round i mean the <laughs> the a location a hub <laughs> uh i'll beep that because <laughs> i don't remember if that's something that was before this game <laughs> I don't remember anything. Um, I, I believe it was, but it's it's been very mysterious. So right. I know that. Um, I think the name has been known. But, okay, all right. I, I just, it's hard to remember what is it is. It, I'm telling you, everybody's fractured. It's very upsetting. Um, <laughs> um, okay, where was I? Uh, all right, all right. So this one's pretty cool. Uh, in your conversation with Dan, one of the things he said. And I keep mentioning this anytime I talk to people about this and like in real life and these podcasts, anywhere I am like, uh, and he said that it doesn't feel like Dark Souls. I think that's almost a direct quote uh, from Dan. And literally everyone I've ever spoken to that has played the, the network test says the same thing. It doesn't feel like Dark Souls. There's something different here. 
Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't matter if it's a light, casual Dark Souls player, a heavily invested every Souls game player, uh, only play Dark Souls 3 player. Uh, all of them are saying the same thing. It doesn't feel like Dark Souls. And that's something I said quite early on. And so, the but but one of the complaints that you hear a lot is people saying, this looks exactly like Dark Souls. It plays exactly like Dark Souls. It's just a copy-paste Dark Souls is not even just about the animations and the graphics, it's about the gameplay it looks exactly the same, it plays exactly the same. And that's just not true. <laughs> it's just not true. And only people that, and when I ask these people, did you play the network test? They, the answer has 100% of the time been no. I've never met a person that has played the network test and holds that opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I agree. Like, it's it's certainly based in the foundation of, like, Dark Souls 3, essentially. But... There's so many, there's so many caveats to that, to the point where it's like, it's not big Dark Souls. It is, it's really interesting, and there's there's so many reasons, and I don't know if it's what you're heading into, but like, for instance, like like the amount of choice in the RPG elements. Like if you're not sitting there, looking at like the like the ashes of war, and you're comparing it with the different skills for the shield, and thinking of how you can swap out, like. Builds are a thing in Dark Souls, obviously, but like it just feels different there, and the tone of the world, and man, it it's you're right, like riding around on the horse, like it's just not really the same. It's sure it's built on the foundation, but it is more than the sum of its parts, and that's why people have a hard time experiencing it. And I'm basically yeah, I know you have to you have to try it because it's like I feel like it's I feel it's like they they like these cupcakes. It's like there's these cupcakes and you have a cupcake and uh, they come out with a new cupcake, Dark Souls 2, and then a new cupcake, Dark Souls 3. And now they're giving us a whole cake and people are like, well, look, it's just a cupcake. And I'm like, you're bl- you're losing your minds. <laughs> losing your minds. Uh, the, well, you see, the reason that it bothers me, because it does bother me, uh, I've made, you know, the, the most popular video I ever made, almost got a million views, was about this subject. And the reason that it bothers me is because I know that Miyazaki doesn't intend for this to be Dark Souls 4. He doesn't intend for this to be um, big Dark Souls. He doesn't see it that way. He doesn't intend for people to see it that way. And it's unfortunate that there's so many people that are getting that um, sense. Uh, The reason that I say that is that because he's put a lot of emphasis in his past interviews where he's like, we can't just be the Dark Souls company. Like we, I, I want to move on personally from Dark Souls. We have, from software has to create new things. And this seems like that new thing that he's creating refined, uh, yeah. built on the bones of, of, of his past experience with Dark Souls, built on, on the frame of Dark Souls. Sure. But so far exceeding like his past efforts that I don't think it should be considered the same thing. And just to, you know, mention this, the, the, thing I keep mentioning in a lot of my videos is the Ashes of Ariando DLC, where you have the painter and you have um, a painted world that's rotting, you know, it's rotting away, and the painter uh, is trying to make a new painting, and to prevent the taint of the rot from spreading to the new painting, they burn the painting down. Uh, what Something the Corvians said was like, uh, when the world rots, we set it afire for the sake of the next world. That's the one thing we do right, not like those fools on the outside. And the fools on the outside are the people that are relinking the fire over and over doesn't want to be like those people and so i've always drawn the parallel there to um dark souls as a series uh he you know 
Miyazaki being the painter, the series uh, accumulating rot. One of the things he said in a different interview was accumulated history. He doesn't want, uh, you know, yeah. the, the, the Ashen Ones are meant to put an end to the accumulated history of the games. Uh, so Dark Souls 3 and the, and the DLCs to me seem like really clarifying his position. He doesn't want to continue doing Dark Souls. He really wants Elden Ring to be something different. Uh, and, and he said that, you know, clearly in interviews, he said that, in you know, personally to me in that game, he's, he said it uh, every which way. And I just feel slightly, um, I guess, offended, triggered, perhaps, uh, when people keep her like big Dark Souls, you know, it's just open world Dark Souls, lame, boring, uninspired. That was the worst one. Someone called it uninspired. I was just like, oh, I got to get out of here before I lose it. Right. Yeah, I yeah I see I see what you mean. It's it's funny. I was having a conversation today, and I do think there's, in, a thing where people are like, well, we can already see some similar themes in Elden Ring, and I would say, you know, be careful. We hardly know anything, but also like some of these similarities, and I think there's confusion between Dark Souls and From Software. From Software has a big history of being self-referential, and you know exploring similar themes about humanity and what it means to have power and to pass on power that doesn't mean you're uninspired there's people who spend their whole careers exploring big themes like that and i think sometimes people get confused like it's not a dark souls thing it's a from software thing it's part of their like aesthetic essentially and it's their approach to games but like you know it's it was one of the things um that was brought up, I was talking about, like, Sekiro, and, like, I don't, like, people say this is, like, Dark Souls in Japan, and it's really not, and it's very obvious that it's not, and Elden Ring is probably a little less obviously not like it, but they are tackling big things, and they're simply utilizing the fact that it's the same genre, action RPG, as, as a starting point. But that's like saying The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings are the same. Not to call Dark Souls the Hobbit. Right. And I also, I like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, but like, obviously Lord of the Rings builds so much. It's so much different. They're in the same sort of thing. And then that can sense the same world, but like they're doing different things too. And those differences are important. And those are where you're supposed to take some of the meaning. And I, I agree where it's always this weird push, like, and I don't, I don't know if I quite understand it where it feels to me like, from software, people are like, why don't they do something else? Oh my but God. there's other, there's other devs who do the same games and, over and over, you know, and nobody cares. And like, you know, not like Assassin's Creed. I mean, but like, for instance, like, um, well, like Team, too, Ninja, like but... <laughs> Team Ninja and stuff where like they make like very similar ish games, but the details are pretty different. So it's probably similar, but I don't see people complaining like. Oh, like what, well, like, it's not why? like we don't also want new stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, the thing is, like, it, you know, well, one thing, just like, did people just really not like the Dark Souls combat style, like, at all? Did they think that it was just going to be over forever and they're never going <laughs> to iterate on it ever again, never going to improve on that system, and that's just it? It's going to be at Dark Souls 3 level and that's it? It just it boggles the mind. When did people yeah. have a start having such a problem with this uh, <laughs> system that, that so many adore. Um, and then they talk about Sekiro. Of course, Sekiro was an amazing innovation. I love Sekiro. But like, okay. They're like, why don't they make other games? It's like, okay. Did you play Duracine? Did you? 
Like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you probably didn't play Deracinate. Uh, they made a new game and you probably didn't play it. Uh, and so shut up. <laughs> Because you're, yeah. you're not going to buy it anyway if they do make another another game and you end up uh, uninterested. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's very funny. And it's it's a slight tangent, but like with the unofficial rumors of like Armored Core, people are like, oh, they're going to make it like Dark Souls. And I'm like, I wouldn't go that far. Like, you know, because like they still like they did. They did Durasane. Yeah. And. From software, just just to put my own little flag here, if it becomes an official thing, like Miyazaki has made it extremely clear, and you've said it, that they don't want to be the Dark Souls company. They come from a rich history of making Armored Core, Kingsfield. Like, they've been related to Tenchu. Like, they've had so many different games. Echo Knight. Like, and he wants to make sure that that's still part of their identity. Yes. And... Deracine is Echo Knight. It's it's it was made by people who worked on Echo Knight, and it is a continuation of that. And if an Armored Core comes, I'm sure it'll they will play with their experience making games, and that may translate into some combat stuff that could be more similar to Dark Souls. But it will always be a mech game. Like yeah, if they're making no. a mech game, they're making a mech game. It's not like they're gonna chase that thing. Like it's very important to. Miyazaki and I think from software that they're respecting their lineage yes. and living and living up to that. And Miyazaki has worked like he he's made armored core games. Yeah, he's, he's worked on armored core games before. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't think he would be like, well, Dark Souls is the thing now. Let's go chase that. Like they will use their experiences as necessary to make the games they want. But when they're doing something like a new armored core, it's because they find that lineage in that variety important and it is true that elden ring is the next in the line of what i call the kingsfield branch it's when kingsfield demon souls dark souls and now elden ring those games all share stamina based combat how many people are like oh that's just boring it's like kingsfield like no they've made such big changes <laughs> and elden ring is the next big change it's the next kingsfield to demon souls change it's possible <laughs> the way i see it it's po to, to give the devil its due it's possible yeah. that uh the new armored core game might have elements that are oh, yeah. slightly reminiscent of dark souls uh but if it's done if it's if it does i don't think it's going to be because they're trying to imitate dark souls if it has any elements that are reminiscent of dark souls it's because like you were saying their experience with video games have to have taught them that like maybe this is just a thing like in general for video games that that is useful like if you find one thing that's that's similar to dark souls i don't want to hear uh armored cores the dark souls of uh, mech games <laughs> i've just i just don't want to uh but i will i'm sure someone's gonna someone's gonna do yeah. and and another thing it's like um again for the devil they're due just going back to that ashes of ariandel dlc i've always found it interesting that the ashes of ariandel dlc has the painter um taking the two elements that she needs to make her new painting are fire. She needs to see fire to Ken fire as she describes it. Um, and the blood of the dark soul. So essentially the ingredients to make the new painting are fire and the dark soul. Um, uh, and so those are the elements to craft the new painting. I honestly think that, the, well, since Elden Ring started its development soon after the Ring City DLC, I think right after it, uh, it, it might be a reference to Elden Ring, but I think it's just, 
a reference to there's going to be elements of Dark Souls, like the essence of Dark Souls in a lot of From Software's works. They're just not Dark Souls anymore. Like that's that's over now. Um, as over as it's going to be. I think he said somewhere that if an intern or something wants to make yeah. a Dark Souls game, it's like, go for it, I guess. Yeah. But I'm done with it. Yeah. And, you know, just, just to hammer it, it's like, nobody is like, man, well, maybe somebody, but like Kingsfield, surprisingly, is very much like Dark Souls if you're going to be that reductive. Yes. It's a stamina-based combat game. Sure, it's first person, but it's got secrets. It's got, it's got illusory walls. Illusory it's got walls. a really nice interconnected world. But who is mad that they made Dark Souls? <laughs> like because it did different things and it explored new ideas. And you know, it's yeah, it's exactly in the ashes thing of what was I thinking about the other day? Oh, I've I've been doing my item description countdown series, which was a godsend because it's a great way to like build hype and time until yeah build hype and for me just to have fun is like a daily meditative. Oh, what could this be about? <laughs> and that when he mentioned recently with Game Informer that there's like this decay element in the game that's like different from like poison and maybe it's important, maybe it's not. He wasn't very specific, but I thought, oh, like Ashes of Ariando had that whole rot thing. And yeah. it seems like, you know, maybe, and also in Ashes of Ariando, you have those like warriors who they really love this like ethereal. The, oak tree. Yeah, the Millwood Knights, <laughs> the Melwood Knights. Yes. Yeah. So like it seems like he was definitely thinking. If there's an abyss things. dragon in Elden Ring, <laughs> and it somehow damages the tree, <laughs> yeah, my lore theories are gonna be like I told you, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like he was definitely thinking about it then, but I agree with you where it's like Dark Souls three. I think it's a very strong and I would think true to what they were thinking about read to say that Dark Souls 3 is sort of a meta story about the idea of being the end of a series. Mm. So it's like, well, the way that I see it yeah. is that a lot of their games, like Miyazaki likes, I believe we were discussing this a while ago, Miyazaki likes the trope of the end, the tragedy of the end. He likes depicting the tragedy of a, of a decaying kingdom and the helplessness to prevent and the madness that uh, ensues with people trying to, um, trying to, do what they can to prevent it. It they, they like it a lot, and so it's like a natural thing that he would that he would make the Ashes of Ariando DLC uh, clarify that more about depicting that. Like they're depicting the same the same thing in all three Dark Souls games the way I see it in different ways, um, and that fact that it that idea that it's also trying to talk about the end of the series. You know, that's not the point. The point is the depiction mm -hmm. of the decay of, of a once great yeah. thing. Uh, if they are talking about their video game series, that's just another way in which they're depicting yeah. the big theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you wouldn't really want to get to your, your game and basically make a game saying, wow, this really got crappy, didn't it? I think it's, yeah, like like you said, like <laughs> you mentioned, like, yeah. for the boss design with like, with like Godric and stuff is that he wants these characters to be these people who are like these old gods of this world and their time is over and they were heroic once and things just got bad. 
<laughs> and and you know i think you know he loves playing with those ideas and i think if you were going to put any sort of meta commentary on that it's not that the series got crappy it's just that things can't exist forever and that's okay right and because like dark souls 3 is ultimately pretty hopeful like <laughs> like a lot of the endings even with like gale and stuff it's like you know there's sprites dancing in the darkness like things yes. will go on they yes. just they have to be different now we can't keep doing this it's funny and... that you're like i'm actually currently working on a video that i've been working on for a while and it's it's like the final lore video i'm going to do about dark souls before elden ring and pretty much every interview that you talked about everything we've discussed right here that you've been mentioning without my you know pressuring has is in that that thing the audio is already done <laughs> and it's just like this is actually great it's a little teaser for what that video is about yeah yeah, because it, it's such a compelling concept, and I think, like, that's why I'm like, when people are like, oh, it's just a bunch of lords or kings or whatever, uh. and, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, because it's really interesting to explore what it means to have someone to be in power, and then for them to have that power taken away. There's a thousand different ways that can play out, and, you know, it's kind of important to our actual world, like, power struggles are at the heart of so many things and from software just likes exploring those like bloodborne with like transcendence and how will you lose your hum humanity in the pursuit of making yourself more powerful how will a religious organization abuse yeah. its you know like there's so many power structures that they since, since we're on this uh, like another another example like i, I was like God, there's, there's so many things to cover in the last few minutes. But like, j since we're on this anyway, you know, uh, Sekiro, we have uh, Genitro uh, using the uh, rejuvenating sediment to gain his resilience. He's trying to get the dragon's uh, heritage for himself. And his whole motivation is like, Ashina is no longer strong enough to stand against uh, the central min ministry. Uh, he's, he's in charge of this now um, um, failing land. Uh, they don't have the, the you know, Ishin Ashina is a representative for their past glories. Like uh, he, he talks about he's going to protect Ashina. And what he ends up doing is he cuts himself to open a gate to the underworld and bring back Ishin Ashina in his prime. And he's like, yeah. Ashina, he says Ashina will be revived, but he revives Ishin Ashina. Uh, he revives the glory of the past. He revives um, the greatness of their country in the form of, of Ishin Ashina in his, in his prime. He's literally bringing the past into the present, uh, unable yeah. to let go of, uh, you know, accept the fate that Ashina has. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not just that. It's the, it's the Sempo Tempo monks, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. The pursuit of immortality is associated with centipedes. It's associated with pestilence. It's associated with degradation of one kind or another. Uh, the, the association to preserve things is associated with the rot in the painting of Ariandel. Uh, the... Uh, the Sempo Temple monks are Buddhist monks. Buddhism is about attaining the state of nirvana so that you escape samsara, the cycle of rebirth, and then you don't um, you don't continue. It's almost like seeking true death in a way, so escaping mm -hmm. the suffering of life. And these Sempo Temple monks are are completely corrupted. They're working into the opposite of what their their vows should uphold. They're the exact opposite of what they should be. Same thing with the deacons of the deep. The deacons of the deep in in um, in their location, they're originally way of white people. They're dedicated to the linking of fire, supposed to keep the, the deep. They get corrupted by the deep. Uh, they, they are no longer dedicated to the, to the <laughs> uh, fading of the fire. There's like these constant reoccurring themes of um, even the things, even the organizations and things meant to 
establish something and protect something, even those things get corrupted over time and work against their initial goals. Like it's it's like a constant thing with Miyazaki. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I I he, in his interview with Edge, he, he talks about like the Erd tree as symbolism and. I, I I don't know if it'll be a spoiler for someone, so I won't explain it, but Well, if it is, it's gonna be in it's gonna be in my video, so you might as well it, it's, it's it's already a, there. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a tree for a reason. A tree grows, like matures and dies. Yes. It's it's supposed to die. The tree like so like the urge tree, like it's it's a tree because it's a living thing that dies, and so we know that's coming, but it's it's so relatable, like people's lives are a series of beginnings and ends and i just find it very resonant and so like this is a super long way to work around the idea that like they're just tackling the same things it's not uninspired it's because this is such a resonant feeling of like not wanting to let go of something like godric looks like a monster he has become a monster he has literally yeah and he started out his kingdom, but and, he didn't start that way. Yeah, he started off as a as a heroic figure in Martin's imagination. He started out as a heroic, like in Martin's uh, work. He yeah. wasn't originally like this. And then <laughs> poor Martin hands, him, hands Gondrick off to Miyazaki, <laughs> and Miyazaki uh, uh, turns him into these um, less than human um, abominations, let's say. Yeah, exactly, because I don't know for sure how it'll play out, but when he said that, I was like... I wonder if there's going to be a read where the great runes are just like, here's this thing that can give you what you want. And the story of Elden Ring is, here's what happens when these people were given the power to get what they wanted, but without realizing the consequences of how that would turn out for them. Right. Like, if it feels like that's that's kind of... Like, if I was to... I don't mind being wrong. I love speculating because... Being wrong is part of the process, but that would be a fun way for that to go, I think, because I just see that with Godric. I don't know with everyone else, but it's just like he was a little weakling and he wanted to be powerful. And he, he got, got what he there. wanted. Yeah. Like he he's a real Chad now, but not in the way that anyone ever wants to be a Chad. Like he's a horror. Yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> so, he is a Chad because he has a bunch of Chads inside. <laughs> exactly. Like he's not really his own power. He just took powerful people and stole from them and you know that would be actually really cool if you write about that and we get to the next um the next lord and they also got what they wanted but it also corrupted them in some way very on like it would be very cool oh man uh, you know uh, talking about expectations like that's that's something i might expect uh, i am now convinced there's going to be no cthulhu things there's going to be no Cthulhu things because everyone's expecting Cthulhu things. Everyone, everybody, and their grandmother and their and their grandmother's grandchild, uh, well, grandmother's daughter, whatever. They're they're all expecting Cthulhu stuff to happen at some point in the game. I am now convinced it's not going to happen. If there is any, it'll be minor. It's not gonna it's not going to be a big thing. There will be star associated things. I think there will be yeah. a lot of star associated things, but those star associated things may not. Uh, be associated with the eldritch stuff yeah yeah and uh, you know i as like it'll be associated with fate like astrology fate star things yeah i i'm with you like i think it would be cool but people are like yeah there's this something from the stars but like the telescope item description from the network test says like 
you know, Carrion astrology fell out of fashion because it was the age of the Erd tree and they didn't need to look towards the stars anymore because the golden order, which had shackled fate in the sky, something like that. Exactly. It had, it had, it had fettered the fate written, like written the stars or something written the night sky. Yeah. And yeah, so that's like, like, it seems like, like you're saying, like it's about these ideas of like celestial bodies because it has to do with like fate and the alignment of planets. And I think they're going to play with that, but I'm, I'm kind of with you where like, they seem to have their like cosmic horror elements, but I don't think that it's going to be bloodborne. It, like if I was going to make a wild guess, I think that there's cosmic horror elements. I think they might be coming from the ocean, not space not the sky yeah and and I, that's just a few things with like godfrey's axe has a bunch of tentacles on yeah, it yeah that's interesting and there's that and there's that one shot of like that crazy squid face from the sgf trailer like there's just things that suggest maybe that's how they could get some of that in there and that ties back into things but i just think they really like that aesthetic too i'm and, really um, you know <laughs> Here's a here's a funny thing. Um, my my avatar is Ratatosker. Uh, Ratatosker is a squirrel from Norse myth that climbs up and down Yggdrasil, the world tree, which is it's basically what the Erd tree is. And it goes yeah. up and down, and he talks to the eagle at the top of the tree, and he talks to the dragon at the bottom of the tree that's gnawing on its roots, heaven and hell. Uh, and one of the quotes that they had in the uh tweets that they that they had was that the the paths of um the the lands of the earth tree go up to the to the top, highest peaks and down into the bowels of the earth or something like that um referencing how Yggdrasil's uh branches touch the heavens and its roots go into the earth and also talking about mm-hmm. the verticality that's going to exist in this game uh yeah. there's going to be a lot of underground like it looks like there's going to be a lot of underground and i don't know how much stuff there's going to be above but I am positive that both the underground areas and the above underground areas are going to be extensive, <laughs> extensive. The heavens and, and the hells yeah. of are going to be impressive, I would say. Yeah, I think so, especially with the underground. And then we know from the uh, network test that the ruin fragments. The, the castle in the sky. Yeah, you got your sky temple and like we, I think logically assumed that the ruins around the place were just you know from software likes their ruined buildings and that's what i thought at first yes (laughs) but then it's like oh actually a lot of this stuff fell Fell. (laughs) out of the sky all over the lands between so the sky temple could be substantially large or it's moving it's either moving or it's substantially large yeah like either way like yeah like like you're saying i think there is it's a good guess to say like that that is part of sort of their their whole thing and because we know that the underground stuff based off of item descriptions is heavily related to like meteors and it's like they're really making this connection that like these things are connected to each other and they're connected through the Erd tree which touches both and that's like you said like Norse mythology Celtic mythology so that way people don't have to decide which one Elden Ring is based off of which it's yes. it's 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 a conglomeration of all these. Well, ideas. just just the world tree itself. It's like no no yeah. civilization has like uh, a patent on the world tree uh, yeah. motif. The mo- world tree motif 
is all over the place. Like you go and look up how, how many civilizations have a world tree that's very similar to Yggdrasil, very similar to the Celtic thing. It's like all of them. <laughs> it's like all of them almost, even the Chinese. Yeah, yeah, it's, which so yeah, it's just one of those like very human elements and it's a very good iconic thing to use to represent your game because <laughs> it, it has that thing and it's a very compelling um open world sort of beacon I, i'm so excited <laughs> oh i know i it's you know and i was i was i was on the verge of saying something and i guess i can say like i think if there's a sequel to Elden Ring, which is getting way ahead of myself, because I, I can hardly handle the thought of that right now. I would, I would guess that the Erd Tree is gone. Like it's a new symbol. Like each of the games may have a different, very important, very universal symbol because that seems to be representative of how the people in charge decided to use the power of the Elden Ring to affect the physical world. I want, like, like just just thinking about the sequel, just like, I don't know. I know one thing. I want more than three DLC for Elden Ring. <laughs> I want a significant number of deals. This is an open world. I mean, this is an open world. You can put some... You, if they had released DLC for Dark Souls 3, there's not, not any, there's not a limit to how many I would have purchased. Like, I would have just kept yeah. buying them. Uh, and so, like... I, as many as he feels is appropriate, obviously, but just like, you didn't give me a Sekiro DLC. You didn't give me a Sekiro 2. You didn't give me shit. <laughs> just, <laughs> just give me some Elden Ring DLC to tide me over until Armored Core. By the way, yeah. that Armored Core, I think it's, it's not confirmed, but I'm positive that that's, that's real. Um, oh, yeah. because I, I, I think so. If you go back to like some of their 2016 interviews, Miyazaki actually did confirm that they were working on an armored core in one of their interviews. Uh, and then the magazine got clarification later from the company that's like, no, no, he didn't really do it. But in the article, he's like, no, he said it. He said the words that they're working on an armored core that he just can't talk about yes. it. And then later the company told them, you gotta, you gotta like put a notice that we didn't say that. Like we, uh, but he said, he definitely did. He, they're working on an armored core. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And I think the story, potentially, of what caused it to sit around for a while or, like, what's going on there is something I'm interested in. But mm. I agree. Like, I think it's been in the works. And, you know, it's 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 off topic, but there's not too many staff, like, because um a fair number of staff have had left and they started their own thing and they made a... What's that Switch game? It's like the uh, Demon X Machina or something. Really? Um, that's like true? That's, that's a thing? Well, from software yeah. staff left and made that? That's Yeah, that's some of the old like um, Armored Core guys were sort of associated with that project. And so I do wonder if you know their staff doesn't have as much experience with Armored Core mm, at that point. That could have so been what happened. It may have been a longer development period because I do think that some of that staff left around that time. And so I, I kind of wonder if that wasn't part of it, but I don't really know enough to make any big extrapolations. There's people who know the staffing better than I do, but I know some of the big armored core people have left, but obviously Miyazaki's still around and um, from software are like very talented people. And from what I've seen of from software staff, there's a lot of like concept artists who love drawing mechs. 
So I think it's still in the culture there. Did you happen to play any of the previous Armored Core games? I I don't have any experience with Armored Core, and um, I don't really have any experience with mech games. So I would be like really excited for them to tackle that, just to try it, just out of see what else from software can do, especially from software in their current state. I'd love to see what else they could do because I'm always like. You know, from software, just follow your passions. Like, I haven't played Deracine, but that's because I don't really <laughs> like VR that much. But, um, but like, I totally support it and I'd love to actually like play it someday. I've like watched YouTube stuff just because I'm invested in them as creators and they they make good stuff. So, I'm I'm 100% for seeing whatever they chase and I hope that they'll. I think Armored Core is a particularly tough thing to like navigate because as the discussion usually goes around it is like, Oh, mech games aren't super popular and they're more popular over in Japan than they are in the West. And like from software has had a lot of their big successes in the West. How would they address that? And I honestly think they'll do what they want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Like like I think that they have, they have a lot of artistic integrity. They also have a lot of clout. Like I think a lot of people would just try it because it's from software now. Uh, uh, Exactly. There's a lot of like, including myself, but there's a lot of people, even, even just non hardcore fans, just, just normal people that they, they see some from software stuff and they have not been disappointed yet. Even, even like, like the most disappointing, some people will comically rag on, on dark souls too. Uh, But even Dark Souls 2, they'll admit, is is significantly better than a lot of the other things that they're playing. They, there's a lot. There's just a lot of people that haven't been disappointed in From Software since Demon Souls yet. So, um, there's a lot of people that'll give whatever they pump out a try. Exactly. I think it'd be a great opportunity to be like, let's make you know mech games kind of like cool and get them some like nice mainstream attention because I do think that From Software values their lineage, and you can't look at from software and not see Kingsfield and armored core as like the two tent poles that sort of make up the company's history. I also haven't played any armored core myself, but mm-hmm. uh, I I've been interested. And since they're working on it, I'm going to, I'm going to try one. I'm going to go back and try one of one of the better ones that people say, you know, this is the best one. Totally. Uh, yeah. One of those, cause they'll, they're not going to agree, but one of those that that's highly acclaimed by people. Um, I don't know what kind of mechs it is, though, because I have a problem with, like, Japanese um, mecha things, like mecha anime. Um, I kind of like original Gundam, uh, the anime, but I don't like Gundam-like things, if you understand. I don't like these these flying all over the place, uh, and I don't know what kind of mechs are in an armored core. Because what I would, what I do like though, like I like the concept of as a gritty, like diesel fueled American like military mech kind of thing. Uh, th- those those really appeal to me. They they're aesthetically very appealing. Not these shiny, colorful white uh, paint job Gundam looking yeah. things. Uh, I don't know which one it is. Maybe it's a little bit of both. If it's a, if it's a little bit of both, I'll play with the gritty ones. And if it's just the mech, I suppose I'll tolerate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is a mix, but also like looking at the old Armored Core games, like it's like you know, obviously, like if they make one now, like the level of fidelity is so much more, and um, it would be a different thing. But it does seem like if if the rumors are true, that it does seem like they're getting a little bit more into that like dirty 
corporate future look yeah versus like, give me that like the shiny, like the shiny <laughs> utopia so i think i think it is a little bit more along those ways and i think it may be a mixture of both but from what i've seen it does seem like it's a little bit of a mixture and at least that one like uh cons piece of concept art by i think david seeley is his name that looked pretty uh gritty looking like that sort of reminded me of like uh like a Warhammer 40k like dreadnought or something. So, you know, I actually don't I I I've never really been into the 40k universe, but I did mm. play the PS2 Warhammer Space Marines thing. Uh Yeah. And that kind of like uh testosterone fueled um Space Marines like dignity and honor kind of thing uh going along like uh fighting to like overwhelming odds and there's just giant they're basically like human mechs anyway, <laughs> these Space Marine kind yeah. of things. Uh, that really appeals to me. Uh, and so I'm pretty excited for that new Space Marine that they seem to be making recently. Yeah. I, ho I hope that's not disappointing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... And and if it seems like it's... Yeah, it's along the aesthetic that you like. It's, it is pretty, like, gothic-looking, too. But it's also, like, very dirty. Very, you know... Warhammer 40K is just, like, what if space Catholics... but like super obviously evil and gothic <laughs> so well the whole universe is is evil in that in, oh, that, yeah. in that world it's, like everybody's a bad guy that's one of the most depressing like worlds to like dive into like the lore because you're like oh it's just like what if everything bad happened all the yeah. time yeah <laughs> um okay there's just one more thing uh that i wanted to talk about um sure the open world nature of Elden Ring. Um, the last thing, the last problem that a lot of people have with it is just, you know, just it's open world. Like, even if there's just, I've had, it's, it's kind of weird because I've had complaints from both sides. I've had people that are complaining to me that are like, look at all this empty traversal, all this empty open space. You know, there's all this stuff that, that, that there's nothing here. It's going to be like Shadow of the Colossus. First of all, you could do a lot worse than Shadow of the Colossus. You watch your mouth when you talk about yeah. Shadow of the Colossus. But uh, but then another person will watch the same footage and comment on my video. And it's like, man, this looks like it's just full of clutter. Like it's just full of things to do. Too many, too many things. Fetch quests and fillers. And it's, like, it's just no different than Assassin's Creed flags all over the place. And I'm just losing my mind reading my comment sections from these people. Um... Do, do you have any thoughts on the open world nature of Elden Ring in general? And, and do you think it's going to be well implemented to Dark Souls? Yeah, I think it's, it is a really interesting point because when I, when, you know, the network test came out, I really, the open world really worked for me. It wasn't Dark Souls because you could approach encounters from various angles but you did have From Software still designing the encounters, and they're very good at that. And I still enjoyed that. And like they did that with Sekiro to some extent. And so that worked for me in the density. I thought the world was extremely dense in a good way, where it's like, if you want to find something to do, you just have to look around, and there's something to do. And it was interesting to see, because I did see some comments um, from a few different people. And like one is um, someone who I, I respect, the AV Club, and he did have some of those comments where he just wasn't sure if the open world and the freedom that it bought was worth some of the like kind of like mm. dead ends or like the negative space just because of how extremely tight 
the whole experience of the Souls games is. And my basic takeaway was, I think you won't be able to make encounters as tight in the open world of Elden Ring. It's going to be looser. It's going to be something where you can run away. But it does purchase like a lot of like who knows what's going to be over there sort of thing in that sense of adventure. And yeah, you'll have the occasional like the world geometries just dictate that this ends a little awkwardly. Maybe you get to the end of like a ravine and there's an item there, but then you turn around or something. But so I think there will be like a little bit of that just because I think it would be hard for a world not to have any of that. But I've also argued that the legacy dungeons exist. And I think from software in developing the game, we're very aware of people wanting these different experiences and the legacy dungeons are that experience for people who want that. And I think as a pace of play, having this open world, which is looser is so dense with incident that you can still go off and do like regular, like dark souls, like a boss fight or progressing because like the castle that's like a little mini Dark Souls level. Like <laughs> it's 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 set up in that classic way and is probably very comfortable for From Software. So I I really like it in the sense that it's also that release and um it lets you go around and they're very clever with it. Like there's there's one encounter that I noticed in in the network test where I was approaching and I was I decided to go stealthy because I just wanted to. And they had some little like like tripwire things with little bells that I didn't see because they had like the grass was kind of high and it just led me on this like sort of comedic like panic as everybody comes running at me like this group of like northern mercenaries and then you just go running off on your horse and I don't know it's it's subjective but like those sort of stories I think are totally worth having the open world because it was fun it was unexpected it didn't go at all how I wanted it to go <laughs> but it was the freedom to like Miyazaki is brought up constantly he wants the open world as a place where the player can evaluate a situation and approach it how they want to even if that means they don't approach it that they walk away from it yeah and I think that that's really good. And then there's plenty of stuff to give you more structure when you grow maybe fatigued with the options and you just want that structure. There's the legacy dungeons and the side dungeons. And I don't know, I, I found the open world really great. And I think it was really clever and well implemented that I think the world is so dense, but they don't give you the tools of that. Like Ubisoft would give you where like, Oh, here's the checkbox. It's all done. Like they don't let you ever give a sense that the open world's like completed because it's there for adventure. It's the be the adventures between these other dungeons. And it's supposed to get you there. And it's supposed to be filled with these stories and these encounters. And yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty cool. And I, I think it's, it's what makes it not feel like dark souls in a, in a huge way, because like I, it's just a really beautiful world. And it's just fun to ride around in. and I even though we mentioned earlier like I felt pressured for time I still would like pause to watch a sunset and like I think it's totally worth the the looser encounter design yeah. to give that sense of you know personal experience I had a similar I had a similar situation cuz I played a warrior and the thing about playing a warrior is that it's not immediately apparent all this poise breaking mechanics uh, to you oh, yeah. I ended up playing a lot like uh, you would play Dark Souls for most of the game. I wasn't 
really pairing even because I was practicing with my new, you know, twin scimitars, the, the move sitter is really nice. Uh, you know, you really like looking at, you know, the running attack has four swings in it, four attacks in it. That's really well, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, and so I was messing around with that. And so when I got to the encampment at the foot of Stormvale, like that first place where there's the, the Amber Medallion, you know, you know the spot. Uh, it's that mm -hmm. first place. There's a big captain there. There's a lot of guys with shields. There's dogs. There's a lot there. Like there's like eight, 10, 12 enemies there that you can all aggro at once. And yeah. I can't actually think of a situation in, in Dark Souls 3 where you can have, when where you can make enough mistakes to have 12 people at you, you know? Like, can you? I, I, I really couldn't. And so I actually struggled quite a bit at that spot. And so what I ended up doing was um, I took some sleep arrows and I slept the captain because he was really tough. He had poise, you know, he, he his, his shield <laughs> had my weapons bounce off because I was one-handing each of them, you know? I, I, was, yeah. I was making mistakes. I was playing like a rookie. And so what I did was I slept him, and that gave me space to attack, well, you know, stealth as many as I could, sleep him, and then while he's asleep, not attack him, attack everything else so I can clear out the easier enemies before I can finally focus on him. And it worked like a charm. It was, it felt like an experience that wasn't authored, and it was more worthwhile as a result. It was really fun. Mm -hmm. I it's like the it dawned on me. It's like, oh my god, this is this is. Uh, it almost feels to me really like Dark Souls should have always been open world, almost. Um, yeah. Or, or not, maybe not that. More like Dark Souls shines in open world more than other things would, because if, for one thing, the incentive structures for the stuff that you get in Dark Souls is higher than in other open world games. In other open world games, like in Ghost of Tsushima, uh, exploring the open world will get you something like, you clear an encampment and you'll get, what, like a, an, a bit of progress to another heart or something, like another yeah. upgrade. You go and you do a, a poem and you get a little bit of progress to your upgrade. You do a mini game with the sword, you get a little progress to your upgrade, then you do that five times and you get an upgrade. Okay. If you go and explore something in Dark Souls, uh, I mean, in, in Elden Ring, you get a new sword. <laughs> you know, yeah. you go explore, you get a spell that potentially changes your entire build because of you like it so much. Like every little discovery, first of all, has value for us Lord nerds because it's lore. We want everything to, to read it, uh, but it has it has other value. It has intrinsic value because it could change how we how we play. Um. That just doesn't exist in other stuff. Like like the reward system in something like Breath of the Wild, uh, you know, highly acclaimed, great, great open world. I love it too. Like just so people are clear, I'm not bashing it. But the incentive reward structure for exploration on that dwindles even halfway to the mid game uh, because the rewards that you're getting are also the things that you're using to clear encounters. So it, the loot is the currency that you use to clear encounters. So halfway through it, um, you're doing stuff either because you're a completionist or because you enjoy the atmosphere. You, li you like exploration, you like things, you like the combat, and you like exploring, you like doing things. Um, and that's true for Ghost of Tsushima, but that's also true for Elden Ring. But you also, in Elden Ring, also want the stuff, you know? Yeah. You also <laughs> like exploring, you also like the combat, and let's just, let's just face it, the combat in you know, Elden Ring is much better than Breath of the Wild. Um, yeah. So, so you have all of those other incentives liking the game, but you also have the extended of that loot is actually really cool. Like I really wanted that. I was struggling in the network test 
even for smithing stones, which would be the equivalent of a minor upgrade in Ghost of Tsushima. I was really hankering for those smithing stones before I knew where to farm them. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny you bring that up, is like the, like, another thing about the open world is like, there's the Storm Hills, which has six, I think it's like six trolls, five or six of those troll things. Mm -hmm. I've, I had spent way too much time just messing around with the fact that there are so many trolls and they could hurt and they could hurt each other if they hit each other and just making them mad and jumping off the, the hill to land in one of those spirit springs and bouncing all over the place. <laughs> so like I, they, they do it really well. And I actually had someone in my discord bring up the fact that like in, I would argue most open world games, the gameplay, the actual gameplay is usually kind of the weakness of the games. Like open worlds tend to be really exciting, but the gameplay is usually it's okay. Or like Ghost of Tsushima, it's pretty good. Like, you know, it's like it's at least it's serviceable. Good. Yeah, it's good. Whereas from software has the advantage of bringing like one spectacular, of the better, yeah, like the spectacular yeah, gameplay. Like, yeah. Exactly. And then they just have to be able to provide that same open world atmosphere yeah. experience that the other open worlds, you know, uh, thrive in. Exactly. And like, it's clear from the combat there, like, right, if I'm, I approach the trolls on horseback, I approached them on foot and I had a, I had a great time and it wasn't directed time. No one told me to go do that. There was literally nothing to tell me I should do that, except as you're saying, the fact that I wanted to get something out of it which was the the smithing stuff, but also it was just fun. And like mm -hmm. that main camp that you're talking about in front of the gate, I, I picked, I cleared that camp like the first time so that I could get the items, but I cleared it like two or three times to get the experience. Just, yeah. Just cause <laughs> it, it is fun. And you found that you could approach it. Like what if I brought a spirit summon and it is obvious that from software would do this, but it is such a sign of confidence that clearing the camp, doesn't give you anything. There's like no announcement. There's nothing like, you yes. know, like Ghost of Tsushima like yes. will tell you you're done now. You've done the thing. Like Elden Ring, which makes sense for From Software, literally doesn't tell you anytime you clear a clamp because yeah. it, it both, it, it cares a lot for your experience and it also doesn't care that you did a thing. <laughs> like, if you, if you wanted to, you could have stealthed the item in the camp, like that thing in the center of the map. And then you could have stealthed the, um, exactly the Amber medallion in, in the chest and then left. You could have, if that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. There was nothing stopping me. I didn't have to kill the captain to get another skill point, which by the way, I think ghost of Tsushima is a really good open world game for that style. So just anyone saying like, I do. No, no, I love, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. But like, I think we are getting at the point that like from software can provide that lack of structure that just works in an open world game really well because they don't hold your hand. They don't tell you what to do. And that works really well when you just crest a hill and see a camp of people because they're still going to not tell you what to do. You're just going to do it and it's going to be fun or it's going to not go well and you're going to try something else. <laughs> and I, I just think that's really, you know, that's like you said, like it feels like this was something that always made sense in a certain way, just because that level of freedom and them just not telling the player what to do has always been a part of their games. But now Elden Ring is like that on like super steroids. Like it's just so much more because it's utilizing an open world to truly give you that sense of adventure, which is another interesting thing that Dan has repeatedly brought up is like, he loves the souls games. He said 
he didn't really feel like the Souls games ever gave him that sense of adventure. Like, they were fun, and he had big experiences, but Elden Ring is a true adventure. And, man, that, that gets me so pumped. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it really is. It's like, it's almost like I feel... I know, I know that people are going to accuse me of being a FromSoft simp, and my hype levels are getting too high. I don't care. I don't. I am a FromSoft simp. Um, but like, it almost feels like the fact, the thing that you were saying. They have this excellent gameplay. They have this excellent foundation already. If they captured the feeling of atmosphere and exploration that people feel when they're exploring Ghost of Tsushima, like that beauty when you're exploring Ghost of Tsushima or or Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. uh, if they can capture that. And they keep what they have. And I, I really think it's going to mix in a way people aren't expecting because it already kind of happened to me in the network test. It isn't like Dark Souls. It was it was more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, definitely. <laughs> I know. It's just like you take that feeling of the network test and then you're just like, and I have hardly seen anything. Magnify and, that by five or something. <laughs> and like being a From Software game, it's going to go weird places. I mean, we literally know it's going to go to a sky temple and the eternal city underground, but it's going to go places they haven't talked about because they don't like showing their cards. Like they have something. And I've had this with every single souls game and every single like, you know, bloodborne, all that and Sekiro. There's always a moment that I had no context that would ever happen in that game. And it just floored me. And Elden Ring has already shown me so many vistas where when I see them, I'm like, wow, that is beautiful. Or like, that's really surprising looking and like interesting. And I'm just like, what are they going to do? Cause I know they will. And it's just like, <laughs> whew, that gets me super excited because they're really setting themselves up like to really have this huge payoff. And I just can't wait to see it. Okay. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. I've already exceeded what, what you told me we should be at <laughs> by quite a bit. Actually. I just get so excited with talking about these games. I don't, uh, I don't oh, know where yeah, to stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's probably about time, but I'm the same way. Like, and especially lately, it's just time is slowing down probably because I am just like at a fever pitch excited for this, this game. And it's just like, it's I'm still like I feel like every day that comes in I'm like pinching myself a little bit and sure like it's a video game I know but it's like a big <laughs> it's like experience. a big deal for me um yeah like, yeah it's, it's just like and the whole experience of like like you know talking with you and other people like I've also like the community is in such a positive light and one thing about releases for Souls games too is like and from software like titles is because of that like multiplayer structure and the messages and the opaqueness of their games. Mm. Like it's such a communal experience. And so in some ways, the fact that people are so excited is going to make the experience better. Better. That's actually intended. Like that's actually his, his intent. Uh, He's, he's, he's outright said that it's, it's one of the reasons that he mentions. It's actually the reason he mentions about the, um, the fact that he doesn't put it in easy mode. He calls it the shared experience thing. He wants us all to have a shared experience. It's the reason that he implements the messages, the way that you're describing. It's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that we all have a communal thing that we can all talk to each other about it. And it's worked like, man, has it worked? Yeah. And like with Elden Ring too, like I think, and he said that he thinks Elden Ring will be more accessible. And in the sense that you have so many more options. Right. And 
how much of a better and you know it's fine like difficulty settings it's a whole thing i know it's like a huge debate but like how much more rewarding is it to take like spirit summons and make it easier but doing it in intentional gameplay ways right because then you're not just you can't share with someone oh i did it on easy mode for me you can you can share with yes, someone. You, yeah, you don't oh, say like, that. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. There's the thing is, it's exactly. like people people think one of the things that people think is that um, if if someone said I did it on easy mode, and and uh, then the rest of the community that didn't do it on easy mode would look down. It's not about that. It, it really isn't. Um, I think the reason that he doesn't want that to happen isn't so that we don't look down on them. Um, that's part of it, perhaps. But it's more like it's more like. People will feel bad on their own. Like they'll feel like they, they, like it's not, it has nothing to do with anybody. I know people that constantly tell me for like Monster Hunter and Dark Souls, if there had been an easy mode, there might've been a moment when I cave and do it. Um, and I'm glad that there wasn't because now I get to share in this communal experience and it was mm -hmm. worth it once it happened. Um, it, the, the way I see it, it's like there's a narrow band of intended experience, but that band is not that narrow. It's a narrow, but it's not so narrow. It's like you can do it with a spell. You can do it with a Zweihander. You can do it with armor. You can do it naked. And all of those are within the acceptable bounds of what Miyazaki considers the intended experience. Yeah. But if you add an easy mode, that bound goes like the, the, the realm of possible experiences goes far beyond the narrow band of intended experiences, far too, far too wide. Um, yeah. And I think that's the re that's the real reason. I just uh, I think he hasn't communicated that properly, and that why there's he has to keep saying it over and over, and this confusion yeah. continues to happen. Yeah, and, and you know there is obviously like I would consider like toxic elements of the community that can be sort of gatekeepy with their language, and you know it's one funny thing I was thinking about like if you're using like a Zweihander, it's just like did you like you're kind of using the equivalent of an easy mode by having a really good build. If you're going to truly be like a big balls, dark souls player, you should be going like broken ladle like runs. Like, cause that's, that's making the game truly harder. Everything else is just solving a problem. Right. And that's so much more interesting to talk about. It's, it's not about it's, the difficulty. It's just that that's yeah. the proxy that people use. Um, and like, I, I've noticed that a lot of the people that are toxic about it are actually like, I feel like they, a lot of, not all of them, obviously, some people are just are, are proud of beating something in the, in the hard mode and, and, you know, yeah. but I'm not talking about them. I think a lot of people that start out toxic when you, when you talk to them and they're like, get good. I don't think they mean it in a bad way every time they say it. I think, I think a lot of the times these people are just like defensive because it's not like there's not toxicity coming from the other side. A lot of the other side will, um, disparage people who like me hold the view that we shouldn't implement an easy mode in these games and say that uh, will accuse me without knowing without talking to me of um wanting that easy mode because i uh am being a gatekeeper because i'm being um um discriminatory i i you know i that i don't care about other people's experiences and that's just not true um and so i think that if enough people get that reaction from others, they're going to start just defaulting to get good. Like they just, they're just going to stop trying to make that argument. And I think that happens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, you know, it, it does have play from both sides and, and it's unfortunate too, because like, and it's another 
thing that the community says that I know people who don't believe it roll their eyes at. The games aren't that hard. <laughs> like I, They're challenging, for sure, especially your blind experience. But like you said, Miyazaki and From Software is maybe not in Sekiro as much. I do understand. That was that was kind of hard. <laughs> that was a little that, hard. That, that was kind of hard. But like in all these games, there are so many quote unquote, like broken ways to approach it. So many cheese builds. But they're still intentional. They're still there. They're they're still intentional because play the game the way, like it's about overcoming a challenge. And I think some people say like, if I can't play the game in the way I want to and overcome the challenge, like that makes them frustrated, but maybe that's just not the correct play style for you. And I think that's what you're saying. Like some people Mm. saying get good. It's just like a way of being like, you just have to put in the time. If you don't want to put in the time, yeah, that's totally fine. Because like, I don't want to put in the time to a hundred hour JRPG. I am also not asking hundred hour JRPGs to be shorter. <laughs> like, I just, I just don't want to do it. Like, I just, it's just not something I want to do. And I'm not asking anybody else to change for that. And I just think like, we agree, like there's, I, we just think that if you give it some time, you'll see that the Souls games just have a more interesting approach to making the experience harder or easier. The and problem is, I think, the- I think the problem is that because death is an intended thing, um, yeah. people get the wrong idea about it. Um, That's true. So, so you're supposed to die. Like everybody, it dies. Like everybody that plays these mm-hmm. games dies. Uh, it, it's not. It doesn't mean that you're bad. Like. Um, it really doesn't. Um, it's just about the willingness to to try again and either try the same thing better or try a different thing um, uh, the next time. And the problem is that actually is the intended experience. That that moment of frustration, you're supposed to feel that. And if people feel that, and the frustration is so great that they're they're like, well, the game should be easier. See, that's a problem because they want the the whole point is you're supposed to feel the frustration and overcome it in any way, whatever way you want to do it. With spells, yeah. with the claymore, with the Zwyander, with heavy yeah. armor, however you want to do it. But if you if you can't if your temperament is such that you can't tolerate the frustration of dying more than three times to a boss, then it, maybe it's just not for you. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. And it's also like I can be kind of stubborn and throw myself against the wall when the fact is, is if I change up my weapon or do something else or explore any of the myriad of options, I could overcome the challenge. But I don't, I can't hold the game accountable because I've chosen <laughs> that I want to beat yeah. like Margit melee yeah. without a shield. Without like, a shield, yeah. <laughs> like, like I've chosen to do it that way. Magic would probably be easier. Maybe it's, you know, like having spirit summons would probably be easier. It's like, I'm making a choice and like, I don't know, I can only go so far to that, like where someone's like, well, I don't want to have to use spirit summons. It's like, I don't know what to tell you. I just think it's, I think it's more fun to have those as the options. It's about how do you solve a problem and what works for you to get there? And then, then you can play with it. And that's why it's like, it's such a dynamic challenge. It's such a dynamic, like difficulty system, mm-hmm. essentially built modular, into the game. even mod- modular. Yeah. Stif- well, the thing is, yeah. it's like, I, I do, I do get bored of this conversation, just like everybody else. I do get bored mm-hmm. of it. And like the main thing that I get bored about it is that, um, it's kind of settled because like Miyazaki has made his choice. Yeah. He's not going to change his mind. What he will do is what he did in Elden Ring. He will give you more options 
intended options. He will allow you to modulate your difficulty in that matter. He'll allow you to have even more range of things to approach a problem, but he's not going to put some kind of static easy mode. He doesn't believe in them. He's explained his reasonings. Can we just stop? <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing, and the thing is too, is like someone might like bristle against that, but like Miyazaki has spent, I've like read all his interviews. He spends so much time worried that the player is going to be like stressed out or face undue, undue. like, like tedium or like stuff in ways that he doesn't think are good. Yes. So no one can accuse Miyazaki of not caring. He's like, they spent so much time. And it's very clear if you've played the network test again, they've done so much to make the open world, not tedious and boring. Like, so they know what they don't want players to experience because they don't want those negative experiences. So when they give you challenge, it's because it's intended and that's really what they want out of it. There's something and, about yeah. the challenge that that he feels is a necessary tool to get you to experience something. This is something that um, the other uh, developer that I really admire, Yoko Taro, it's like video games, uh, the, the point isn't in the box in front of you. It's the, the, the stuff happening on the screen is a, is a tool by which we are trying to get your brain to experience something specific. All right. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's exactly what Miyazaki is doing. The difficulty is a tool, an artistic creative tool uh, through which he, that he thinks is necessary, through which he is trying to get your brain to have a specific experience. And and he thinks that having modular difficulty in the way of easy modes, like a, a static easy mode instead of the modular difficulty will hinder you from having that that experience it will it will prevent a large enough percentage of the player base from having that experience that it's not worth it yeah 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 exactly and you know sort of at least my like sort of closing thing is if, if anyone's listening like wow for people who don't like the difficulty discourse you've talked a while about it it's because <laughs> elden ring hasn't come out in full and it's come up like three times already like there's been like these like internet <laughs> upheavals of like the dark souls difficulty discourse and it's it's just frustrating because the game's not out yet and miyazaki has said his piece and he's provided quite a lot of stuff and he keeps I think, getting asked I think, I think as like creators too we're sort of bracing for the actual discourse once the game is out because it's coming and it's just and it's just like we're already tired <laughs> And like, here's, here's, here's our argument that we've had like three times now. And Miyazaki has clarified on multiple occasions. Can we just like, can there be some other game series that gets this attention? Cause I don't see it popping up for other games nearly as much. I, I have a, I have a plan to like, uh, I'm going to make a series. I've started, I've started it. I made a big, a whole big video. It was, it was pretty popular, but I'm going to make a series. And in the series, I'm going to just get it all out uh, individual, each individual argument, each one specific, specified like 10 minute videos, each one talking about every, uh, talking about this in every way that's possible to talk about it. And then I will never talk about this ever again. I will refer <laughs> to those videos and never discuss this again, because I'm going to be part of this from software companies lineup for the rest of my life, pretty much. Uh, yeah. I might as well get it all out now while I'm still young and full of energy <laughs> before I get too tired. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny to like, like you mentioned, like people liking that they didn't give the difficulty. Like I play games with difficulty options. I play them on medium or easy. I almost never play on hard modes on games unless I really like it. So yeah. Yeah. 
Me too. I'm not someone who doesn't understand. <laughs> like, if if the game gives it, I will take advantage of it. And I've certainly used easier modes. And I'm still here making the argument that <laughs> it shouldn't be a requirement and that every dev and every studio and every game has a philosophy and they have an intended experience, like you're saying. And it's just it's just part of it. And it's fine. And if you don't like if you don't like it, but you do like the world, I do feel for you there. I do, yeah. But like like there is there is somebody who's not going to get that out of it. But and I know it sounds like annoying probably to that person, but they can't remove all the pieces because it would change the experience. Like, like you said, Miyazaki talks a lot about the player experience, like the narrative, the mechanics, they are all about him trying to create a certain player experience. And you just, you can't remove those things and think that it's not going to affect the creative vision. And for the people that don't think that think that we're overplaying how involved he is, he's actually quite unusual among among developers. There's not that many people anymore that that um, are as hands on as he is. Uh, a lot of game directors don't like overview every little thing, but like pretty much from what I can read and see, he like every single piece of art gets passed by him. He looks at everything. Him and Yokotaro are the only people I know that still. Uh, do it this way so no he's he's quite involved yeah <laughs> i i imagine he i imagine he probably works far too much but <laughs> I, it seems like he's like you know go look up the miyazaki store he's obviously very passionate about what he does and like he made he made a big leap of faith and i think he's living his dream right now so and we're and we're all benefiting from it so it's kind of funny because actually um aiko uh the thing that inspired him to make that leap of faith he played aiko him and yokotaro uh, can trace the roots back to that. They both, uh, like they played Ico and then they went to, went to go be game developers and, you know, they made the, some of the best, you know, games of all time. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, we, we, we owe Ico quite a bit. <laughs> okay. Well, I really think that I've taken up way too much of your time. Oh yeah. That's, it's totally fine. I've had, I love talking about eldering. It's like, I don't, I'm always curious. When am I going to get tired about it? It never happens. It's just like, it's just fun. It's just, there's something transcendent about like the experience of these games cause you to share with people. And I, I, I love it. Okay. Well, this has been the Yggdrasil podcast. Thank you very yeah. much, Lore Hunter for coming and yeah. for everybody else, uh, you know, avoid spoilers. Unless you don't want to. In that case, yeah. you should probably do it anyway, even if you don't want to. But either way, <laughs> have a good night.